Well, it is great to see you, Providence. It's always a joy to worship the Lord with you, and I hope you've had a really, really good week. If you're in this room or some other venue, maybe even at home, uh, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you uh, have joined us, and if you're a guest here with us, we're, we're really thrilled that you are here as well. I want to ask you to look with me at Psalm chapter 67. We're going to come out of um, our uh, fall uh, book study. Uh, to look one week at this idea of God's big missionary heart. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's lots of Bibles in the chairs near you. And if you don't have one at home, we would love for you to take that home as a gift. Uh, We love the Bible here. And uh, and so uh, Psalm 67 is part of it, which is really just a significant treasure uh, of a man who recognizes that God has a really big heart for people everywhere. And he's praying it, and he's singing it, and he's calling us to pray and sing it as well. And so I want to ask, though, if you would, let's bow and let's pray together again. Father in heaven, we call upon you and ask that you would be our teacher. I pray, Father, that uh, as we move through this text and then as we learn the opportunities that you have set before us as a church family to be involved in what you're doing in the world, that you would help us to have courage and willingness and compassion within our heart to participate in the way that you would want us to. And so we lift our lives to you. We ask God that you would open up our eyes to see great things in your word. Help us to believe what we read. Would you knock down everything that would cause anxiety, that would cause fear, that would cause unbelief. And we pray, God, again, that you would transform our lives through this text. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, on Wednesday, I uh, had a friend, his name is Matthew, uh, who... Uh, he wants to be baptized, a little guy here at Providence. It was so cool. And he brought me a gift, uh, which was some chocolates, right? Which, which happened to be my wife's very favorite kind of chocolate. Uh, in fact, uh, favorite food, probably. She, she loves those uh, lint balls, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so anyway, so I get them and I think, I need to share these with her. And so I uh, went home, forgot about them. They're in my bag. The next morning, Thursday, is when I normally write the sermon from home in the morning. And so I'm in my office at home. My desk faces the wall. The door's behind me. And so I see it. I think, oh, that's right. And so I start thinking about what happens every single time. And that is that she always comes in. She always says hello. So I think, I want to put this in a place that I know that, that I was thinking about her, that that she could find these and that she would, she would be uh, really encouraged at the thought. And so I started thinking of how it was going to play out, that I was going to hear the doors open, I was going to hear the footsteps because I'm not seeing all this. And then what she does every time, she puts her left hand on my right shoulder. And then so I thought, well, I'll put him on this side and she'll see him over there. And then I even imagined the inflection in her voice and what she would say because this has happened before. And it's, ooh, where'd you find these, you know? And so sure enough, I put them there and I'm just waiting. Just a few moments later, literally, the doors open. I hear some steps coming through. Hand on my shoulder. About two seconds. Same inflection. She goes, ooh, where'd you find these? Right? You see, at that very moment, what she was recognizing was that I was thinking about her. Actually, Matthew was thinking about me. It happened to be the same thing. And so I thought, well, this would be great. Right? I'll I'll save it for her. But isn't it true that when we know someone and when we love someone is that we make it our attempt to actually pursue the things that they desire and even anticipate the way that they're going to respond when that takes place. And this is exactly what we find here in Psalm 67. Is the psalmist, he knows something about God. He knows God. He loves God. He knows something about God's desires. 
And so what the psalmist does is pretty remarkable. Is he prays to God what he knows that God wants to hear. But because he's wise, and there's a good chance that the psalmist is David. We're not certain about that, but it may be David. Likely is David. Is that he wants everyone else to recognize God's desires. And so he gives the psalm, the prayer, to a choir master, it says, at the very top of the psalm. In other words, the worship pastor, to put it to music so that he can teach the people something about God's desires to remind them about who he is and how we can please him, how we can put chocolates out that God looks at and he is really, really pleased with. And this is what he says. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So what I want to show you here is three desires of God, three things that God today desires, not only to happen in the world, but even to come through us, his people. The first is this, is that God desires to be worshiped among all nations. You see this refrain over and over again. It's always important to remember why we are built as believers, why we're built as a church. And even when we look at David, who is a part of the nation of Israel, what was the purpose of Israel in the Old Testament? Why did God found and form this people? It's really interesting when you look at what's taking place here. You see, I want you just to imagine a few families, perhaps in the Midwest, 100 years ago, they all have big farms. There's no town. There's no place where they all gather. And then there's several families. They all know God. They all love God. They love Jesus. And, 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 and so one day they think, you know what we should do? We should constitute a town. We should found a town on the basis of things that we know that God has told us to do. And the first and foremost, he says, the most important commandment is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. And so these families, they all love God. They think, you know what? Wouldn't it be amazing to be a part of a community of people where the law, where, 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 where justice, where uh, reconciliation, where how we treat one another, how we think about one another, how we come together, we're a people, we're a community. And under the banner of these two commandments that we know is the point of the whole Bible. And so what they do is they say, we should do that. And they all memorize these passages of scripture. It's so important that they even engrave them on a sign and they put the sign out in front. Just so anytime you're leaving town, anytime you come into town, you remember why this place, why this whole community was founded. And then time passes. And with the passage of time always comes forgetfulness. People started dying, some of those founding members, over time. Some people moved away. Some people moved into town who didn't know God, who didn't know the Bible, maybe didn't even love God or know what the Bible had to say. Certainly those virtues weren't their virtues. Future generations were born and those kids had to be taught this or else they wouldn't know it. And eventually there was a big storm and it knocked a sign down. So there was no reminder of what the town was really supposed to be about. And then one day, there's a guy, years later, he's a new guy to town, he's walking around, and all of a sudden he finds the sign down, down, down on the ground. And he's like, 
wait a minute, what? when it starts reading, it says, this town was founded on the basis of, and he thinks, wait a minute, I should bring this back to town and let everyone know why we exist. And this is what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 67. Is he's saying and echoing the very heartbeat of God when, he, when God founded the people of Israel, and indeed why he founded the church. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth. You see, God had come to a man named Abraham. There was no people of God at the time. They were all sinning, including Abraham. And he looks at him and he says this, I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. And you skip over to verse three and he says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what God intended with the people of God is he says, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to literally pile up my blessings upon you so that through you, I can bless all the families, all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. But just like every other people, they got distracted. So what God did was he put it upon the heart of this psalmist to remind the people of his desires. And you think, well, what are his desires? And this is what it says in verse 2, his desires to be known. In verse 3, it says his, his desires to be praised by all people. In verse 4, it's to be enjoyed by all people, that we would be glad and even sing for joy in God. And in verse 7, it says that we would fear him, that we would fear him. You see, God wants to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared by all peoples. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5 says, I, the Lord, I am the Lord. And there is no other besides me. There is no God. And you have to understand that God understands. He recognizes what the people of the world do not understand. And that is that there is no other God but him. He is the one and only. There is one and only one. And every other God, little g God, is a fabrication of the creativity of man. Which is why every other God always says, scale the mountain in order to impress me. But the one true God came down the mountain in order to die for us. There's a vast difference. And God knows. He knows that he's the one true God. And he wants all peoples to know him. You see, providence, this is why God created the world. It's why he created Israel. It's why he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. It's why he created the local church. Indeed, it's why missions exist. Missions when we think of this idea of Mission Sunday, what is missions? Missions is simply the people of God telling other people about excellent things about the excellent one. It's telling people what he's done, what he's like, what he's done for us. And missions exist because the knowledge of God and the praise of God and the fear of God and the enjoyment of God is not happening in all the nations of the world. Because they've never heard. There'll be no mission trips in heaven. Everyone will have heard. But here on the earth, they haven't heard. And so we need to remember, Providence, that just like Israel, the church was built to help others to worship him here, there, and everywhere. The second thing I want you to see, though, is that God desires to rescue people among all nations. He's not just wanting worship. He wants to rescue us. He knows that people are in peril. You look at the faces on the screen right now, just faces from around the world, and every single one of these faces, God knows. He knows that every people group that these people represent, that they're all fragile, 
They all have fears. They all have hopes when they wake up in the morning. Every single one of them, they all have guilt before him because he says that all people, every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And he also knows that every single person is aging. That death awaits every one of us. And judgment will follow death. And he's told us that the standard of his judgment is perfection. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48, Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So if you're new here and you don't quite understand what I'm saying, what I'm saying is this. If you want to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. And it's not because I say it and I'm the judge. I'm not the judge. I too have to be perfect. What he's saying, Jesus is saying, the judge is telling us. And yet the thing is, is God knows that we're not. He also knows, and he tells us in verse 2, that he wants his saving power to be known among the nations. And then verse 4, at first may be puzzling to you. He says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy for or because you judge the peoples with equity. Now think about what he's saying there. He's saying that God is impartial as a judge. His impeachable righteousness governs everything. And so God knows that there's guilt in every single person, that no one's perfect. He says the standard to get to heaven is perfection. And then he says something really interesting. And he says that there will be people in the nations who actually rejoice and sing to God because of his perfect and impartial judgment. Now, how can that be? And that can be because God planned for David, who's writing this before Christ, and for us as we read it after Christ, God accomplished the sending of his son. That Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. He lived a righteous life. He's the only one who's ever lived on earth in perfection that deserved to go to heaven. And yet Jesus died on a cross for our sin. To pay the penalty for our sin. He was buried in a grave and then he rose from the dead. And he extended to every one of us an amazing invitation. And that is that if we would trust him, that he would take away all of our sin. He'd forgive us. But he goes further. He says, not only will I do that, he, he says, I will impute. The word impute means give, almost like pour over your head. Like if I had a big water pitcher and I walked over and I said, hey, I'm going to pour this right over your head. Nick, you go, like, what are you doing? Well, I'm imputing water over your head. And Jesus says that he literally imputes. He pours Jesus' righteousness over us. He gives his perfection to us. And then God himself declares us innocent. You see, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. None. No condemnation. You see, listen. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can sing at the thought of standing before a perfect God in judgment. Because on that day, we will be vindicated. Not because of our own righteousness, but because his righteousness has been given to us. This is why the peoples can be glad and sing for joy. Because God has done something to prepare them for that day. So that not, not that they're fearing that day or don't really want that day to come. But they actually can't wait for it to come. They're not just excited about heaven. They're excited about the judgment seat. Because the judgment seat is when God says, you are perfectly innocent. 
And this is the gift that he gives to us in Christ. And you say, but wait a minute, what about those who've never heard Christ? What about those who've never heard the gospel? We have to remember that his judgment is equitable. And his judgment within the scriptures is based on our response to the revelation that we have. The problem is, the Bible says we've all sinned with that revelation. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, His invisible attributes, namely his external power and divine nature, it says, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. You see, Providence, the idea that sometimes we concoct that God would never judge the innocent man in Africa or India or Asia, it falls apart once God tells us that there's no innocent man in Africa or India or Asia. There's no innocent man anywhere. And when he says that there is one way to be saved, it's not because God is narrow. It's because God is generous. He gave his best. But there's only been one son of God. There's only been one who's walked on this earth in perfection. And there's only one who says, if you trust and lean upon my accomplishments, I will give you my righteousness so that you can be perfect when you stand before my father in heaven. There's only one that's done that. Which is why Jesus says, I am the way, truth, and life. And apart from me, no one can come to the father. It's also why Jesus told those of us who believe in him, now go and make disciples of all nations. To go. You see, missions is the ultimate field test of our belief in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate field test of our belief in the gospel. Do you really believe Jesus is the only way? Missions answers that question. Do you care about the people who've never heard? I'm talking about your next door neighbor. I'm also talking about the people across the pond. The third thing I want you to see about God's desire, we're going to close here, is that God desires to bless his people for the sake of all nations. He really desires to bless us. That's why he prays. What some people might look at is, it's kind of a selfish prayer you got going on there at first. God, would you... Be gracious to us. Would you bless us? Would you make your face to shine upon us? Verse 6 and 7, he says, Would you help our fields and crops to really be abundant so that you bless us? And the reason we know that it's not a selfish prayer is because he's saying, God, would you bless us so that your ways may be known on the earth? You see, there's an enormous difference here. The psalmist knows that missions cost money. It's a culture that is based on farming. And so the psalmist prays, God, we're going to plant some seed in the ground. There's some corn and some wheat, some cotton, and we're really asking that you help this seed to produce a great crop. And the reason that we're asking for your blessing upon these crops is so that we can sell it, so that we can send people, so that we can be a blessing to people who've never heard about you. You see, if we could understand why God blesses us. It would give us a new lens for everything. I want you to think about this, that God in his mercy gives us more than we need for the sake of people's worship around the world. And this is true of every commodity that you have. It's true of your financial resources. It's true of your time. It's true of your talents, your treasures, everything about you. 
God gave you more, not so that you would just have more, but so that you would be a river instead of a puddle. That the blessings that come in, that they would go out and other people have never heard that they too would be able to hear about Christ. You think about some of the blessings that we enjoy as a church family. We worship. That's an amazing blessing, isn't it? And yet, isn't it true that it's also in excess? You think, what, are you saying we sing too much? No, I say we sing every week. Did you know some people have never sang to Jesus? They've never experienced worship. They've never experienced a swell in the heart when they're reminded of something that's amazing about God. They've, they, they have never done that with the one true God. It changes our perspective. It changes what we complain about when we're worshiping. It's not about our preferences. It's about preparing the people to go. That worship center that's going up, that's a blessing. It's an excess. Right? There's more seats. Why? Well, we can look at it and say, well, this is for our comfort. Or it's for us to have a place to invite more people to prepare them to go. To go to their neighbors. To go to their families. To go to their children. To go to their spouse. Training people in maturity in Christ to be able to engage the people around them. To be blessed so that we can be a blessing. See, Providence... There's every single reason to believe that the blessing of God will continue to rest upon us as a people. So long as we remain committed to be a blessing, not only to the people around us, but to the people even on the other side of the world. And so I want to encourage you with two things. First of all is this. If you've never trusted Christ, you may come in and went missions. I've never heard of Jesus himself. This whole gospel thing is new to me. We would welcome you today to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and be forgiven of your sin. You too can rejoice at the thought of being judged by God. That's possible for you today. And second, for those of us who have, I want to encourage you, I invite you to participate in this mission in some way around the world. So I'm going to pray. And after I pray, Phil is going to come up. Phil's our new uh, guy over all the missions here at Providence, okay? Uh, He's a faithful pastor. And he's been working really, really hard to prepare opportunities for us in 2018. So he's going to come up. He's going to share what those opportunities are, how you can be involved in this. And then he's going to ask us to participate. Okay? So if you would, let's bow. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for the clarity of your word that says that you bless in order that we would be a blessing. And God, I pray for your kindness. I pray for your mercy. I pray for your love upon each one of our lives. God, that you would help us to take what we've received and to be generous with it, whatever it is. So open up our eyes, open up our hearts, and help us to be willing. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.